Let's bow once more before we open up the word together. Father, Lord, I ask that you would just uh, quiet our spirits, uh, that you would help all the distractions of life to fade away for these few moments so that our attention can solely be upon you through the power of your Holy Spirit, all because of what Christ has done for us uh, when we put our faith and trust in him. Uh, Lord, may you, your spirit give us the spiritual eyes to see your truths, to, to be excited about uh, the book of Ephesians uh, as we begin this journey together, and may uh, the practical applications that come out of this book uh, be ones that transform how we act and how we think and uh, how we uh, carry ourselves uh, as we face uh, an uncertain world. Um, because we know that the truths that are enclosed in this book, as well as the entire Bible itself, uh, are timeless, uh, and they speak to everything that's a lie. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would be honored by what is said and done this morning, uh, and we will glorify you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we open up the book of Ephesians, and I have no idea how many Sundays it will take to get through it. Um, but God does, uh, and just know as we begin some introductory considerations into this book, that as we study it, uh, that it is the Word of God. It is God-breathed. It is uh, infallible, without mistake. Uh, and so uh, we have the privilege of, of looking at this book together, uh, and today uh, we, we won't even get into verse 1, uh, because we're going to speak to some of the considerations of the entire book some nuggets that we can take from it, and one of the overarching themes that repeats itself in this book uh, that is uh, a, a call for us to, to see just how blessed we are as children of God. So we begin this morning uh, by taking a look at the book of Ephesians. Uh, it was written uh, between 60 and 62 AD, uh, and it is actually considered one of uh, the prison epistles, uh, which is a letter that Paul wrote from prison, uh, which we know from chapter 3, verse 1 uh, of the book of Ephesians, because it says there, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And as we take a look at the, the book of Ephesians, you're going to find that it breaks pretty uh, neatly uh, between verses or chapters 1 uh, through 3 and then chapters 4 through 6. Uh, chapters 1 through 3 are deeply theological. Uh, we are going to be uh, speaking to uh, a lot of biblical doctrine in this book. Uh, and chapters 4 through 6 are largely practical. Uh, and so Paul uh, is going to show us here uh, through the writing of this book that the theology is practical, uh, that we can take the theology or the study of God, the study of his word and who he is, uh, and realize that it is very practical in living the life that we are called to live. Uh, and it will underline right behavior uh, as those that are redeemed, but also as the church itself, and how we should function, uh, how we should treat one another, uh, and how we can glorify God through all that we do. I like what Spurgeon said. He gives a, a good synopsis of the book of Ephesians. Listen to what he says. He says, The epistle to the Ephesians is a complete body of divinity. In the first chapter, you have the doctrines of the gospel. In the next, you have the experience of the Christians. And before the epistle is finished, you have the precepts of the Christian faith, 
Whosoever would see Christianity in one treatise, let him read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle to the Ephesians. Uh, And that's what our goal is going to be, to read it, to mark it, to learn it, and to digest it, make it part of who we are, because the doctrines that are are spoken here uh, pertain to our salvation, uh, so that we can step back and see that salvation belongs to the Lord from beginning to end, uh, and that's what makes it grace. Uh, and so we will have the, the privilege of studying that together, uh, but also, too, seeing the, the practical um, you know, applications that can come out of this book uh, will also, too, uh, speak to us as we study the book of Ephesians together. Well, one of the things I like to do as we begin a book, uh, as we step into that book, is to take a look at the nuggets that are enclosed in that book. Now, I have to confess, when I first started writing down nuggets of verses, it literally filled a page without even breaking a sweat. And uh, so I had to part it down a little bit, otherwise I'd be pretty much sharing most of the verses in every chapter of the book of Ephesians. Uh, But one thing is we think about verses that we know, we have memorized, things that speak to particular truths. Uh, There's a caution here to familiarity uh, because what can happen is is that, and I've heard this uh, spoken to me in years past as a pastor, is that I already know that book of the Bible. Uh, And there's nothing else I I need to learn. Uh, I already know everything there is uh, to know about that book. Uh, and honestly, that is one of the biggest lies from Satan there is, because it, it devoids the fact that the, the Word of God says it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, if it's living and active, that means that there are things that we need to learn. There are things that we need to digest, as Spurgeon said, to make part of who we are. And the thing is, is we are all at different you know, positions in our Christian walk. Some of you here this morning may be you know, new believers in Jesus Christ. And so some of what we're going to study is going to be brand new to you. Uh, it will help you appreciate your, your faith in Christ. Uh, it will give you things that you can look at and see uh, that this is how I should live my life, uh, not, before, not only before others, but before uh, the Lord and in his church. Uh, but what can happen is, is those that have been saved for a long time, who have read the book of Ephesians, no doubt multiple times over, have it committed to memory, is that it loses the beauty uh, and we talk, and we sung about the, the beauty of the Lord this morning. Uh, and the fact is, is that if we come to it with a preconceived notion as to what it's going to be, then we've already lost that battle. If you come to it looking at it through the light of the fact that God has something for you, something he wants to teach you, something that he wants to reinforce in you, something that he wants you to stop doing, uh, then you will realize that Uh, As we take a look at even that which is familiar to us, uh, God can teach us something from it. Because our God uh, is continuing to sanctify us, uh, as the scripture said, which means making us more like him. Uh, And so with that said, uh, I tried to keep it down to uh, um, about a couple verses per chapter. So chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up, because we're going to be flipping back and forth here as we take a look at different scriptures. Um, But first is uh, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, 
We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So here in verses 13 and 14, we realize that it is in him, in Jesus Christ, that we heard the word of truth. Remember, he is the way, the truth, and the life, according to the Gospel of John. Uh, the gospel of our salvation. And we believed in him. And uh, the fact is, is, we were not saved. Uh, and there are going to be some question when we stand before God. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So what God pays for through the blood of his son, he gets. And so we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. As it says in verse 14, who is the guarantee. So there's no going back. There is no uh, doubt. Uh, There's no uh, lack of fullness. Instead, it is a guarantee because it's God's work. It's not based in man. It is based in God, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So in other words, until we stand face to face with the God who made us and Jesus Christ, the son of God, says, this one belongs to me because I paid for him with my shed blood. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they've put their faith and trust in me and me alone. And so we have a beautiful picture there in chapter 1 of uh, the gospel of our salvation. Chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, you probably have that memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So one of the aspects, one of the truths of our salvation is is that it is all by God's grace. It is not based on merit, uh, and it's not based on what we should get. It is based solely in the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ, through faith in him alone. It says there, it's not of your own doing. It's a gift, a gift that only God can give. Uh, It's not something that we can, uh, you know, manufacture because it says it's not a result of works. Why? Because we would boast about it. We would take credit for it. We would try, as we do in everyday life, try and see if there's some type of edge or way we can get in there and take credit for what is alone God's work, uh, which we will find... Um, that it speaks to the fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Uh, so apart from that gift of God and God's great work of giving us the gift of faith as well, uh, we are lost and without hope. It says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in other words, Christ's blood, which is able to save Uh, which is able to take away sin and the penalty of that sin is not for the purpose for us to live however we want. It is not fire insurance. Our salvation is for the purpose that we, as God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, those who are spiritually dead and made spiritually alive, uh, may uh, do good works because true saving faith works. Because the Spirit of God is inside each and every one of us. And the Spirit of God is not going to sit there and do nothing. Because the Spirit of God has uh, a great responsibility, not only as the seal, but also to give us the ability 
as it says there to uh, walk in those works which were prepared beforehand. Uh, so God has something for us to do. We are not meant to just be saved and that's it. Uh, we are saved for the purpose of doing those good works, not to earn our salvation, but to show what has already happened, that we are not those same individuals, that God has given us a power through his spirit to do things that we could not do, would not seek to do, uh, and would, uh, you know, literally just ignore uh, because we, we love sin apart from God. Then chapter 3, verse 6, is a beautiful verse. It says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah uh, that the Old Testament speaks to and points forward to, and he came for the purpose of uh, sharing the truth, uh, show that he was the way, that no one would come to the Father except through him. And his people, the children of Israel, rejected him. Uh, and as a result of their rejection, and as part of God's plan, which uh, spans all the way back before he created a- anything, is that we would be fellow heirs. So I am thankful that God loves me as a Gentile uh, to know uh, the love of God through Christ, that we are members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Then verses 17 through 19 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may know, because God wants you to know. The reason why we love is because God first loved us. That's why we are rooted and grounded in love, because our God is a God of love. Now, that is not the only thing he is. But because of this speaking in relation to salvation, we know for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And part of growing in that sanctification is for us to begin to understand, to begin to embrace just how amazing that love is. A love unlike what the world defines love to be. A love that is perfect, that is holy, that does not seek its own, and all the things that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a beautiful love. And it says here, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Do you know that the Son of God dying for us, offering himself as that once for all sacrifice, is something that surpasses knowledge? Because it goes beyond man's knowledge. It goes beyond what even as the angels look, they, they long to look. Why would the Son of God offer himself as that once-for-all sacrifice? To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. That's what happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit does as we open up the Word of God and we read it and we digest it and we meditate upon it, as we contemplate upon uh, what it, it, it has to say in relation to who we are. It fills us 
and helps us to see who God is and who we are. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to that, the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That verse, those two, well, I guess three verses are, are just packed full. But know this, there is one God and there is one way for the wrath of that God to be appeased. And that is through his one and only son. So that's why there's only one faith, because that is a gift of God as well. There's one body, one spirit. So we are not meant to be uh, a bunch of those that are experiencing saving faith through Jesus Christ and being separated from one another. As much as it is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it is also uh, coming together in one faith. There's only one way. Yes, God did limit it because he is the lawgiver. And he is the one who says, this is how it is going to be because I am almighty God. Who is over all and through all and in all. There's almighty God. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. Be like him. Take a look at Jesus' life in the New Testament. He is our, our perfect example of how we should live. Be like him. Imitate him. Do what he did. And you'll notice we talked about the fact that the second half of the book of Ephesians is, a, is practical. You'll notice it says, walk in love. And so it's given you uh, actions that we are supposed to do. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So in other words, our Savior was proactive. He came and he did what he was uh, called to do in obedience to the Father. And it's a fragrant offering. It's fragrant because that sacrifice meant that there was victory over sin, death, the grave, hell, everything. Verses 15 through 17, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be careful how you walk because we live in a world that is full of things that pull us away from our focus being on God and him alone. Things that seem to fill us, but yet leave us wanting. Know that the days are evil. And the days have been evil since the garden. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the things that we, we looked at in the Sermon on the Mount. And finally, chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Finally, as he's closing out the letter, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because our enemy is a schemer. 
because he seeks to destroy. He is a lion looking for someone to devour. And so we need to be strong in what? In our own strength? No. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Do you see the note and notice the difference? Because our strength and our might comes from God alone, because the salvation that we have is from God, because the battle that we are in is not against flesh and blood. We need God's power, his strength, his might, the one who is almighty. So that was not the book of Ephesians in one sermon. So next week we will continue in the book of Ephesians. But you know, there's another theme that comes out as we take a look at the book. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It says there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. God knows exactly what we need and gives it to us. And every spiritual blessing speaks to two different things that I see repeated throughout this whole book. One is the the phrase, our inheritance. So take a look there at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. It says, In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 14, same chapter. Who, that's the Holy Spirit in context, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Verse 18, same chapter. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So it speaks to this inheritance, to this blessing of being called a child of God. That that Jesus is true in what he says that he goes to prepare a place for us. There's an inheritance that we gain as we become children of God. That is why we don't look like the rest of the world. That's why the Spirit uh, has those works which are prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Because we belong to God. Because we've been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing here in those three verses, as you noticed it, I don't know if you caught it or not, but that inheritance is part of the Godhead. Jesus, in whom we have attained an inheritance, the Spirit, who is the guarantee of that inheritance, and the Father, uh, who shows us uh, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So the entire Godhead is pictured here as we talk about this inheritance. And then if you take a look at chapter 5, verse 5, This one's a negative one because it says you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Because God's kingdom, the inheritance that we gain because of Jesus Christ is a pure, holy, righteous inheritance. And so there's no place for sin Because sin is what sent Jesus Christ to the cross. He needed to be that once for all sacrifice, being the son of God, because uh, he is the only one who could live a perfect life and offer a perfect sacrifice, but also the son of man so that he could take our place. So know this, that if you are living 
uh, for sin and sin is your master or you are a slave to sin, you have no inheritance. So it doesn't matter how good you think you are or how good you try and, and measure up, you will always fall short of the glory of God, according to Romans. But another picture in, in this uh, book is also the word, our riches. Take a look back at verse 7 of chapter 1. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Again, in Christ, it speaks about the riches of his grace. Salvation is by God's grace. Because what we deserve, Jesus Christ took upon himself. He took our place. He substituted himself in our place. Verse 18, the same chapter, uh, which uh, we have already read just a moment ago. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of of his glorious inheritance. So here we have both of them together because we are rich because of Jesus Christ. Not financially, which is the first thing that always comes to our head when we think of rich. This is rich because we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That Jesus Christ provided that sacrifice so that we could have eternal life and be with God forever to the glory of everything that pertains to God. Chapter 2, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So not only are these riches of God's grace, but they're immeasurable. You can't quantify them. They are beyond your comprehension to understand just how great God's grace is and how far it goes. It has no limit because it comes from the eternal God. Chapter 3, verse 8. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So here we are talking about the riches of Christ. Uh, And uh, chapter 2, verse 7 talked about the immeasurable uh, riches of his grace in kindness uh, toward us in Christ Jesus. So these riches that we have are all because of Christ. And it says here they're unsearchable. Again, they're beyond comprehension. They're more than we could ever possibly imagine. So that we are beginning to understand uh, the love of God, being rooted and grounded in a love that is immeasurable, a love that is unsearchable. But by the grace of God, we can begin to understand the Uh, breadth and length and height and depth of it. Then chapter 3, verse 16, uh, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So the riches of his glory. We get to be in the presence of God Almighty, that our faith may be made sight, that we will begin to understand but I don't think fully grasp for all of eternity the love of God in Christ Jesus towards us. And as you take a look at this entire book, the, word, the phrases in Christ and in him are repeated over 20 times. 
Because Paul didn't want it to be any mistake that this is not something that is in man, in man's power, in man's capability. This is all in Christ, in him. Without Jesus Christ, there's no salvation. Without Jesus Christ, there's no inheritance, no riches, no being a son or daughter of God because we are dead in our trespasses and sins and we always fall short of the glory of God. We needed a Savior. A Savior, as the book goes on to show, uh, that is the fullness that fills and uh, we are filled by seven times. So it's not lacking in anything. It has everything that we need. As it says there, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what? What other word could you possibly think would be repeated multiple times in a book like this? Grace. Twelve times. I didn't flip my slide over here. Otherwise, you'd be looking at the same thing there. See, these riches and inheritance are based in God's armor, his calling, his his equipping, his forgiveness, his fruit, his fullness, his gift, the Lord Jesus Christ, his grace, his glory, his kindness, his love, his might, his power, or his peace, his power, his purpose, his sacrifice, his salvation, his sealing, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, his strength, his time, and his will. That's all what we're going to find in the book of Ephesians. Whose is it? God's. Not man's. It's God's. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. It is the power of God to those who believe. Peter spoke of inheritance kept in heaven for us. So this is not a alone uh, truth here in the, the book of Ephesians, but we can go to, to books in the New Testament as well. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through five says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, verse four, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you want some verses to memorize, this is a good set of verses to memorize. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God the Father sent the Son in mercy. Because what we deserve is God's wrath on our sin. But God is merciful. And he is the one It says he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, because the resurrection, what we celebrate at Easter, is God's approval on what Christ accomplished. He did not leave him in the grave. And the thing is, is that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He did not come into existence when he took on human flesh. He has always existed. He is the, the second person in the Trinity, in the Godhead. And so what he brings is eternal as well. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Jesus, speaking in relation to the final judgment in Matthew chapter 25, 
starting in verse 31, says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is the beautiful inheritance, the riches that we have in Jesus Christ, because salvation goes back before the foundation of the world, because God knows everything. There has not been a moment in, in our, what we consider time or history or of the future or in eternity where God did not know. And so, therefore, he planned out before the foundation of the world a kingdom for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that they would inherit one day. So what, what does this all mean practically? Because here I've given you a very quick uh, kind of introductory overview of some of the things that we can look forward to studying in the book of Ephesians. Well, let me ask you this question. And you can see it on the screen here behind me. Do you know that there is no heavenly or earthly reason why every believer in Christ cannot live the most fulfilling and healthy Christian life? Let me read that again. Do you know that there is no heavenly or earthly reason why every believer in Christ cannot live the most fulfilling and healthy Christian life? Do you know why I can say that? And say that without any doubt in my mind, you know, or answer the question, how can this be? Because what we have as those who are uh, sons and daughters of, of God Almighty through the Lord Jesus Christ and kept by the power of the Spirit is not contingent on the circumstances of our life. So it doesn't matter what happens to us. That does not change who we are in Jesus Christ. And as believers, that should be something that gives us comfort, but should also give us the ability to be overcomers, as the scriptures talks about, to not allow the circumstances of life to dictate and to uh, mold and shape us into its form, but instead remembering who we are in Christ, that we can live the most fulfilling and healthy Christian life because of who God is in us. It's solely based in who we are in Christ. In him. And it's a good thing it is. Because if it was my job to keep salvation, I would have lost it a long time ago. And I'd be doubting whether or not I belong to Lord Jesus Christ because of all the sins that I have done since I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, sins that I've confessed. But the fact is, doubt comes into play when we don't realize who, uh, to whom salvation belongs. And that's God. And the thing is, as believers today, as we see ourselves facing a world of uncertainty, a country of uncertainty, not knowing what's going to happen in the weeks and months to come, is that we have to remember that heaven's resources are inexhaustible. Do you believe that? I hope so. I'm not convinced by the amens in here. And we are Baptists, we can say something in the church service, it's okay. But the thing is, is if we're walking around living a 
dejected and defeated Christian life because we're looking at all the things around us and letting that dictate who we are in Christ, then we are self-defeating. You need to take your focus off the circumstances of life and keep your eyes focused on the one to whom you owe your all, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I close with this statement. It's on the screen. We are not needy. We are not deprived. We are not destitute. Because in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. Hallelujah is right. You need to believe that. You need to understand that as it comes to living the Christian life. Don't live a defeated life. Don't let the circumstances of life rob you of the joy of who you are in Jesus Christ. You have everything pertaining to life and godliness, as it says in 1 Peter, or maybe it's 2 Peter. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But the Word of God does say, say that. And know that, that heaven's resources are inexhaustible. So everything that you find yourself needing, God has it and God will give it to you. And so live the victorious Christian life. Remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Because this world needs to see it. And even if they don't receive it, and, and, and honestly, as Jesus said, you know what, they're going to hate you because they first hated me. But that does not give us a reason to not live as those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And a salvation that goes back before the very foundation of the world. This is not just something that God threw together. This comes from the God of order. This comes from the God who is just and right and holy and merciful and gracious. And loves us through his son in a way that we are just beginning to understand the length, height, depth, and breadth of. Let's close in a word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, I just thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for each believer here this morning that they would live as those that are empowered by Almighty God because they are. Your spirit resides in them, dwells in them, and your son accomplished what no man could do. Something that only the son of God could accomplish in salvation. And we are thankful for that. And may we live that way before this world because they need to see the glorious gospel. And the same power that saved me and saved uh, many in this room and those uh, that uh, attend Ellington Baptist Church can still continue to accomplish that great work of changing lives for eternity. May we live like those that are overcomers, that are victorious, realizing that we can never exhaust your resources because they are infinite. Thank you, Heavenly Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.